0: Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. I've lost count of the number of times a legacy security tool has given me the wrong advice because it lacked the context to understand my circumstances correctly. Most recently, that I should close some of my S3 buckets to public access. Even though they host content, I need to be publicly accessible. But how can I be sure my public buckets don't contain sensitive data? Listen later in the show to learn how Open Raven Souls is for you.
1: Good evening, gentlemen. Welcome to the last show of 2020.
0: Yay! Yay. (laughs) It should have been 99 episodes of Cloud on the wall. What are we thinking?
1: Uh, Oh wow! (laughs) Now (laughs) you come up with a better name. Now, (laughs) anyway, this is typical 2020. (laughs) Well, we have had an action packed December with three weeks of reInvent. We've had a fun year all along, even though we were all stuck at home, haven't been able to see each other in months, which is kind of a bummer. But overall, it's been an interesting 2020. So, we're going to take a quick look back, see how we did and our predictions for the beginning of 2020, which none of us predicted a pandemic. Uh, so, that was not hit by anybody. So, And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about kind of our favorite announcements and then into 2021, what we think might happen. And then we'll do some news. So it sounds like a busy evening this evening. So let's get started. So first of all, I went back to episode something. I don't remember the number, but looked at our 2020 predictions. And they were okay. <laughs> so I <laughs> predicted that Amazon and Microsoft will work really hard to compete with GKE in a big way. And while I do think there has definitely been some investment in EKS, there's been some investment in Azure, Kubernetes, not as much as I expected to be. But you know who did start competing pretty heavily with GKE is VMware, who at VMworld announced all of their new Kubernetes type technology and all that. So I just picked the wrong vendor, but, uh, you know, someone was interested in competing with Kubernetes in a big way. And by competing, I mean using Kubernetes and then try to make it better. So that'll be what it is. And then, uh, you know, Peter, he had Kubernetes and workloads will double in the next year, which even argued, I think, then that's kind of hard for us to say that it's doubled or not. But what do you think of that one, Peter? Do you, How do you feel? I think it's tripled. <laughs> if you
0: use Kubernetes, then it's at least tripled. <laughs> yeah, seriously.
1: And it's funny, I look back at
2: the beginning of the year last year and the number of just environments that we were in that were de facto, like, yeah, 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 that's the direction we're going, EKS or GKE or Kubernetes, you know, AKS, and what it ended up the year at. And it's difficult now to find people who are going in a different direction. That's been a tidal
1: wave from our perspective. That's great. I mean, it's a lot of complexity, though. So hopefully people are doing it in the right way and taking advantage of Foghorn and other partners to do it in the right way without causing yourselves massive amounts of technical debt, which we're going to talk about in 2022 or 2023 when you're trying to rip out Kubernetes because it's too complicated.
3: For sure. Yeah, there's definitely lots of rope to hang yourself with. And one of the big things with EKS is that, well, I don't know if I could really count it. You know, as trying to compete with GKE, what they've really done in 2020 is really invest in integrating their Kubernetes offering with the rest of their platform, which will make it a very compelling offering if you're already based in Amazon and you can very easily leverage things like IAM permissions and CloudWatch logs.
1: Yeah, that's true. With load balancer controllers and mm-hmm. all the things doing with logging integration and monitoring. Yeah, I could see that. And even the managed from Etheus is really a play for supporting Kubernetes better.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Which kind of goes to your prediction, Justin, Mm -hmm. as well. After myself and Peter talked about Kubernetes and why we thought I was going to take over the world, Jonathan said that Amazon would open a data center across the growing African continent somewhere in one of the many economies that is growing large. I don't think that happened. Am I correct? I don't remember any in Africa, no. Wasn't Cape Town in this year? It didn't open this year, though. I don't think that is
3: open just, just another announce. year where Jonathan's at two years before April. his time. Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so that one, I don't think that's open yet. Hello. Maybe it is. Hold on. April 2020. Yeah. Open Africa Cape town region. Oh, there you go. There you go. So you did get one, but I think this was announced at the time. And I think you were saying you thought there'd be more, but I'd, again, it's a year ago and it's a COVID year. So it's a hundred years ago. And I don't remember exactly what yeah, you said
0: what you say, it's a year ago, but when you mentioned that, Peter said the Kubernetes workloads were going to double the next year. I feels like it was only two weeks ago, so the time is just messed up this year. <laughs> <laughs> time
1: is definitely interesting. You also, uh, after we mercilessly mocked you for the African economies, you did say also that you thought that risk-based risk instances, risk-5 instances would be released by one of the cloud providers, which I did not see. Uh, by any of them and then you know because you were mad about losing in 2019 that slack didn't get bought we put in parentheses and slack will be acquired this year for sure and you got that one so congratulations (laughs) (laughs) just a year too late that's all so there you go yeah so uh, you know we did not predict a pandemic we didn't expect massive amounts of people working from home we didn't expect asia to basically drop off the face of the earth and announcements in the second half of the year because of jedi or capacity issues or whatever and not really announce anything so that's a little weird i don't think i would have predicted any of those things I didn't think reInvent would be three weeks <laughs> and remote. And I didn't think Google would be nine weeks of Google Next. So lots of lessons learned for 2020. We're hoping to have a much better 2021 with the vaccine and kind of the future where we're headed on all of that. So, well, as we like to do here as we recap is what were your guys' favorite announcements in 2020? And Ryan, as we did mention, we did not have a 2020 prediction because Ryan joined us mid-year, which we also didn't yeah. predict. I didn't predict that either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we sort of, Jonathan and I sort of had a, like a side prediction that Peter would quit and like a huff one day and then we'd replace him with you, but then he never quit and we just keep going with it. It's all good. And so you're we saying, like, well, we still want Ryan. So it just made sense to add you in. Well, this podcast oh, saved it. my life, I think. So I don't know if I could stand
3: being at home, isolating for the pandemic all year without some ability to chat with you guys
1: and yeah. talk about these things that interest me. So. Happy to be here. Yes, it's been fun. So uh, we don't have a prediction for you for 2020, you know you can look back and say you predicted something. We can't prove it. So
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the only one I would have predicted, and it would be vague, and it is something that's sort of a gimme, which is just the continued sort of offering of managed services. That's something that I think it's going to continue. There's going to be more and more managed. Services to sort of abstract and take away certain elements of running software as a business that may not be sort of part of your key, you know, business deliverables. So you know things like the the managed Prometheus, the managed Grafana. If you think back over the last years before that, you know the container orchestration, Elasticsearch. You know all these things are being offered by these cloud providers in a big way. So you can take advantage as a service without having an internal tools team running it all.
1: And of course, I was right. So. <laughs> 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 of course you're Well, since you didn't have a favorite announcement for 2020, I thought we'd let you go first on the favorite announcements of 2020. And so if you have your first favorite announcement of the year. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, yeah. So I struggled with this. I was researching all the announcements in the past and, and what they were, and there's a lot to cover. I think, you know, for me, it didn't specify it down to a single announcement, but groups of announcements so that sort of tell where development's going. You know, so when I think about AWS and their serverless offering, like what they announced in total for 2020 for lambda improvements, I think we're really bringing that serverless development and that serverless platform to host applications and run applications, they're really bringing it closer to your typical static either containerized workload or VM- based workload. You know if you think about the improvements to EFS, upping the memory to ten gigabytes and six V CPUs, the customizations that you can add with Lambda extensions. And then, you know, the big one for me is really adding these things, adding Lambda functions to the savings plans by changing the entire reserved instance model where it would be included. So they're in a big way. I think that's probably my favorite announcement for 2020. Savings plans for Lambda
0: was on my shortlist.
1: I looked at it and I didn't put it on my shortlist, but I did think it was a big deal. But I had others. All right. Well Peter, what's your first favorite announcement for twenty twenty?
0: I think
2: my first one. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely one that was I think pretty impactful on the industry would be Google's creation of the open usage commons.
1: Which we made fun of when they announced it because we were like, We don't get it. And then I think when Jock was on, he kind of explained what his view of it was and how he saw that as being helpful. So it was it's been in kind of a love hate with the open usage commons whereas I you know figured out what it is and how it was gonna work and all that.
2: Yeah, we all just want open source to be this wonderful fairy tale of love and happiness and togetherness. And in reality, it's a lot of the biggest innovation for open source is driven by for-profit companies, but they have a responsibility to their shareholders to do what's right for them. And so I think we're going to continue to see companies trying to figure out how to best benefit from creating open source software and hopefully it continues to benefit
1: us as well. Jonathan, what was your first favorite pick?
0: So it's not really an announcement as such, more of a news item, but I think the most impactful news for me for this year was the SolarWinds hack because it's really brought back the risk of vulnerabilities in the supply chain to people's minds. I mean, I think people don't realize the scope of damage that can be done when sort of malicious people get involved in the supply chain. We think about things like when the Xcode compiler was compromised and a bunch of people downloaded it and injected bad code. The same for uh, Visual Studio or when the point-of-sale systems in Target ended up with malware on them and it siphoned off 40 million credit card numbers. And now we've got SolarWinds with 18,000 business customers who potentially have millions of their own customers who may be impacted by data loss or damage. So I think it's an important reminder that we need to be more careful about the supply chain. And I think next year will be the year of securing the supply chain.
1: It's going to be interesting how we actually secure it, right? You know, thinking about how up my vendor can I get about how they're doing stuff and how they're building these services and it will definitely be interesting to see kind of how that works out and how the market reacts to it all right well my first one up was Honeycode and (laughs)
2: <laughs> and it's my favorite was my because
1: it, it's my favorite because from Amazon, just because there was so much hype. We talked about it for months after reInvent how no code was going to be this big thing, and you know, they were going to try to make a big deal out of it. And it was all based on news that we were hearing and rumors and how much money Amazon was investing into it. And then they, they not only announce it, and it's terrible, <laughs> it's just a bad product, but it also has a terrible name that we mercilessly made fun of, and it's sexist and it has a bunch of problems with it. And so it just is the Perfect example of the terrible naming and terrible deafness that Amazon sometimes has. And I just think it has, it's such a microcosm of so many problems at AWS and one product release that I think it's just a really interesting study of the hubris of AWS. And so that's why I picked that one.
0: <laughs> yep. It was on my list nice. to, to mark mercilessly as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. All
3: right. Well, let's go back to Ryan. Staying true to form. This one's not really cloud provider specific. This is... What I really enjoyed, especially at the beginning of the year, well, you know, you know, March, April timeframe, was basically the COVID-19 response that every one of the of hyperscalers basically provided. And so whether it was providing publicly accessible data lakes to be used against research, or, you know, from Amazon, they'd released the Core 19, which was basically the database of research findings that you could use for your own research purposes. Google had a whole bunch of big query items and articles and blogs there was no shortness of machine learning blogs on how to you know get the numbers and do your own data modeling for covid-19 numbers impacted counties and i thought it was a really neat demonstration of how these big companies can sort of come together and, and offer this public service in a time of crisis. and I was happy to see it. And I think it's led to a lot of discovery and I think it's led to a lot of information making it way out to the world. I appreciate it.
0: Do you think it was entirely altruistic or do you think there's the self-serving PR that goes along with it? And Amazon and Google are both huge employers. I suppose it's also in their interest to spread the research and spread the data around in the interest of their, of their, of their staff and their businesses.
3: For sure. Uh, yeah,
0: no. Is it purely altruistic? No. Absolutely
3: not. A lot of this was a commercial for their services and their technology. Absolutely. They're using it for those purposes. But I also think that it makes everyone feel good if you can accomplish both goals at the same time. And I think they achieved that.
1: Peter, how about your second?
2: Although they announced the service right at the end of 2019, I don't think it was available till mid-2020, which was Amazon Bracket. So obviously not something we're going to use just quite yet. But I think that it feels like when I first started on computers and they were these scientific play toys and you're not sure what you're going to do with them yet but they seem really cool so I think this could be the beginning of a whole new run for our industry, quantum computing Mm -hmm.
1: they did a lot of stuff this year with that I mean if you look at They released the proofs for a quantum proof encryption algorithm for SSL. They've announced several upgrades to Packet as well. So it's definitely an area that they're investing, which I think is really interesting.
0: I think it's a secret arms race. Honestly, I think it's a secret arms race for cryptography. Whoever gets there first owns everyone's data.
1: It
3: has to be, right? Well, I don't know if Bracket specifically is part of that, but just quantum computing in its own right. Like that was everyone's first thought was like, what can we do? That's really dangerous.
0: Oh, you mean decrypt everyone's secrets? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and it's definitely becoming more mainstream now with libraries that support machine learning using quantum computing as well as with tensorflow
3: it's only a matter of time yep for sure
0: hey everyone jonathan here i just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008. They are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered.
1: Jonathan, how about your second?
0: So my second is the confidential computing sort of movement, which Microsoft, Google, and AWS, all three kind of got kicked off this year. It may turn out that that type of enclave is the solution to part of the supply chain problem. Even if it's not the solution to that problem, it's definitely a step in the right direction to ensuring that your cloud provider has no access to your data, even when it's decrypted.
1: Yeah, it's actually on my short list too. It's either a paradigm changer or it's not. It's too early to say, but it definitely was on my radar as something that's going to have potentially big impacts next year. Especially if we get back to supply chain and you know how important that's going to be to the bigger picture. And if one of the ways that you guarantee the code is what you think it is, is through you know, signing and through these encryptions and enc- enclaves to do that, then this might be a big part of that story as well.
0: Yeah, I guess as well as the security brings you, it's also helped drive some of the innovation around encrypted memory, which prevents VMs sharing the same hosts from stealing each other's data. And it makes everything more secure. What they've done to build confidential computing has made everyone more secure, even if you don't use enclaves yourself.
1: Well, my second one comes from Azure, and this is the announcement of Azure Orbital, which, you know, when Amazon announced their space thing, I thought they were kind of crazy. And now Azure has gone right after them <laughs> into the same bucket. And so I thought that was awesome. Uh, apparently there's a big enough market for Azure Orbital and for AWS Space and all of those satellite connectivity capabilities. So I thought that was pretty cool that there's actually a market for something like that, which I didn't think there was when Amazon did it. So... Glad to see it. I thought it was interesting. I think their take is unique. It's a little bit more internet provider, satellite connectivity provider based. And it's really about putting Azure kind of in the edge of your satellite network, which I think is interesting. And so I picked this one as my second.
0: I was hoping somebody was going to announce that whether it's AWS or Google, announced the first data center in space. <laughs> literally, <laughs> well, I mean, you launch, cool. launch an outpost with a big solar panel or batteries, or whatever it is you need, I don't know, to power these low power arm chips and things. You could literally have compute at the edge of space. Well, you know, you still have time. For 2021 predictions, could happen. No, if it's going to happen in 2020, then the news will be space-based data center crash lands in the middle of you know Chicago or something. It's going to be something destructive. It won't be a good spin. <laughs>
1: nice. All right, Ryan, how about your third and final theme <laughs> since you're in the theme camp? So
3: I really think that this, you know, 2020 was a big shift for containerized. Ecosystems, I guess, a lot of the shifts that have happened to the Docker community and the Docker products, the split between the enterprise software and the sort of developer experience, tailored softwares, and then, you know, the beginning to see the limits that are imposed by that split. So when they download limits were enforced, I think that was the first super big test of containerized applications being able to survive without the Docker company sort of existing in whatever form. So it's, you know, you start to see the public image repositories come up to replace it. A lot of work has gone into the agnostic hosting of containers, whether it be, you know, EKS Anywhere, ECS Anywhere, and Anthos, all kinds of things like that. So you're starting to see these things become really ubiquitous. And then, you know, the switch from Docker runtime, you know, sort of not supporting the Docker what is it, the Docker API and the move to supporting only open container D runtimes? I think that that's really is sort of a shift in how this has been traditionally managed over the years. And I think that that's the fact that the industry is able to survive that big sort of change, I think just goes to show that containerized workloads aren't going anywhere. And they're not the ecosystem isn't as fragile as I once thought.
2: Peter, you're third. So I was so far, we are all on the same page because I lost Honeycode and I lost Docker download limits. <laughs> so, starting to dig into the bowels of my ideas and one of the other ones, I guess I don't know exactly, probably applies most to Microsoft, maybe Azure to some degree, Microsoft to a bigger degree, but the whole this trend that the work from home requirement from COVID that was now extended to indefinitely and for some companies forever show just basically this concept that the pandemic has accelerated the process of potentially all jobs being or many, many more jobs being virtual. And I don't think there's any surprise that many companies are announcing that and many companies are announcing moving their headquarters out of San Francisco Bay Area, out of California. And yeah, I think that since Microsoft has such a much more prominent role in the desktop and worker compute environment it could definitely affect them positively more than some of the other companies
1: it will be interesting to see kind of how it goes i know i i'm looking forward to working from home permanently <laughs> and never driving to an office <laughs> again so all right jonathan your third
0: all right my third is a more specific one or very specific one so earlier in the year i think it was ran february time aws identity and access management introduced a new control for requests that Amazon services make on your behalf, which meant that we can it add a condition to the IAM policies, AWS called via And what that means is we could give people permissions, finally, to use CloudFormation to deploy EC2 instances or any other kinds of resources, but not give them permission to deploy those resources themselves. And I think that's a great control, which provides a lot of additional security, especially if you think about things like service catalog, where you give people permission to deploy entire stacks in CloudFormation, you don't want to also have to let them have permission to mess around with things themselves. So I think it was a really useful improvement in security posture.
2: Yeah, and that was always the one saving grace why I always said I liked that service is because of that one feature. So now disassembling it is definitely awesome. Yep.
1: That was a good one. I do remember when that came out, kind of changed the game and then combining that with the tagging and using tags as part of your setup, it just, it makes sense. And, you know, you can start seeing kind of where they're headed in a big way
0: yeah i guess i could have been more general on iam improvements i guess that you know the taggings improvements did make some difference but at the same time they've also made a mess of some of the managed policies for some of the services where they've had huge sweeping you know permissions to uh, do anything with DynamoDB or do anything with s3 and their lambda policies and things like this which never should have been the case so still need to verify the can policies that come with things even though they added the extra security
1: Definitely. I do remember us complaining in 2019, though, how bad the tagging changes were and how they were dangerous. And, and then this change happened and some of our IAM changes. And all of a sudden, tagging as an option is really actually viable and access-based controls are the way to go. So it's definitely been interesting how it's it's pivoted. <laughs> so, All right. Well, my final pick is from the mighty Google. And I have picked developer Anthos and the ability to run Anthos now without having to have a $10,000 per month contract. I think this starts changing the game of people experimenting with Anthos gives us a lot more options, a lot more opportunities to see what Anthos might be able to do for your business and your enterprise. And so I think it kind of allows people to now take an interesting look at Google without a big commitment up front. And I think that might help drive more business to them.
2: I think it's going to be super cool to see these hybrid solutions roll out with one control plane. And it sucks when price is a barrier to play with it. It's amazing it took this long. It's exciting it happened.
3: Yeah, it's funny because price is still a barrier for even just playing around with it because... It's fallen to the bottom of my list because I know that to take it anywhere real it's gonna require enough, you know, cost investment that probably wouldn't make it happen. So they still I think have to solve that hurdle and make this sort of achievable for more people in order to I agree it is, you know, having at least the ability to kick the tires is super important and a step in the right direction.
0: I still don't understand the huge cost commitment for Anthos though.
1: It's a way to get recurring revenue that you had to basically declare up front and you can now put on your books. It's a it's a nice smooth finance move. <laughs> Somebody Somebody's gotta pay it though, is the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not very customer friendly. That's the that's the big issue with it. Well I did have a couple other honorable mentions in case you guys stole them. Did you guys <laughs> <laughs> did you guys have any others, Ryan? I had a bunch of little ones, you know, like the development of the Bottle
3: Rocket OS. There's a lot of little improvements to, you know, like I am permissions the granularity you had there you know using conditions and tag based roles as we said Those are all on the bubble list that didn't quite make it to cut.
1: Yeah. I had one similar to like EFS access points. So it fell into your Lambda ecosystem story and your Docker story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a similar idea where, you know, these access points, now I can limit them to specific applications and services and directory paths and I can share them in a much better way. So like things like that, I think have, you know, those building blocks that we saw kind of materialize into actual interesting features are really kind of cool. But yeah, I had similar ones kind of like that. Uh, How about Peter? Query turned
2: 10. It did. BigQuery turn 10. That was kind of fun. Remind us how the life cycle of our industry we're in right now.
1: Well, another one that I had on the BigQuery side was BigQuery Omni, which they announced at Google Cloud Next, where they can query, you know, basically distribute your BigQuery to any cloud provider or even onto on-premise and run that from a centralized control plane. It's the same thing you're doing with Anthos or you're doing with EKS Anywhere. It's just really interesting piece in that area as well.
0: I had Babelfish actually. I think Babelfish is going to be a game changer for a lot of people, certainly for Microsoft, <laughs> if enough customers can use it.
1: I have it on my Azure list, the SQL Server Licensing FU. And it really comes back to the announcement they made in August of 2019, where they said, you know, we're going to penalize you for using any cloud other than Azure. And so I didn't actually put it on my list because I kind of felt like it's really tied to that. <laughs> you know, Babelfish is a direct response to that thing that happened in 2019. But I agree with you. <laughs> I, I definitely. You know, that bet that they made has now come back to roost, maybe in a bad way for them.
0: Yeah. The only other thing I had really was, I mean, I certainly don't believe in multi-cloud as a sensible strategy for anything but a few very specific use cases. But now we can build Google run functions. We can build Lambda containers. We can build ECS or EKS or any other kind of containers, all with a single Docker file. And the fact that people can use a single language to build containers that can run on basically any platform is really, really useful, really really good for people hiring for those kind of teams.
1: The only other ones that I had that we didn't talk about was uh, the Mac instances, mostly because I've wanted those for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the other one that I thought was actually a big deal that I forgot about was the CloudFront change propagation, shortening that down from 30 minutes to make a CloudFront change to you know less than a few minutes. It's still still longer than I'd like. <laughs> I think it had some really great benefits, and then it kind of slowed down like a little bit. So it's about seven to eight minutes I think when I see a CloudFront change now. But still, you know, the days of me making a CloudFront change then going in a coffee and lunch are over, which is really nice. And so <laughs> you know, it definitely helps my workflow out when I'm doing something with CloudFront. That one was a big change for me just personally and how I use CloudFront. For the thing like the CloudPod uh, website and those type of things. It's just nice to be able to have that now with a reasonable amount of expectation of time. Now, if they just fix RDS, I'd be even happier. <laughs> mm. Well, good. That was a fantastic look back. But let's move on to what we think is going to happen in 2021. A pandemic is already happening, so you can't declare there's no pandemic. I don't think we can handle that as a country at this point. <laughs> but we'll go for We'll go maybe Jonathan first for his 2021 prediction.
0: Well, we kind of already covered it a little early with the quantum computing thing. I think 2021 will see major breakthrough in quantum computing. And the encryption as we know it will be dead. That's my prediction. As dire as it is, yep. it's like a carry-on from 2020. I don't think it'll die fully in
3: 2021,
0: <laughs> but it will, the gun will be loaded. You know, All it's going to take is for one powerful entity, whether it's a nation state or whether it's Amazon you know, or Google, to develop a computer powerful enough to factorize those primes in those keys.
3: Oh, I mean, for sure. I just think it's going to take a lot longer just for people to actually implement any kind of change, mm. you know, there's the invention of whatever's going to replace the encryption and there's the rolling it out and so like just the heavy lifting that was done. Oh no, that,
0: I don't yeah, think we will have a solution know. for it because I don't think we're ready for a solution yeah. for it, but I think the threat will be there. It will be imminent. Oh yeah. No, agreed. I don't think people yeah. are going to start keeping cash in the mattresses again necessarily, but if all of a sudden every financial transaction you make on the web is potentially something that somebody else could decrypt then maybe people will go back to more of a cash economy. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, then we will go for horse drawn carts. We get into the vehicles. It's all yes. we're gonna you know, regress. <laughs>
3: Beginning of the end. Yeah. What was, was that you a
0: sandwich board and a bounce. That's, that's, that's <laughs> right. We can we can batter sausages and eggs for compute time or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
1: Peter. How's your twenty twenty one crystal ball looking?
2: I think you know. I think for years there's been the main blocker to go to the cloud for many companies. Originally was security. And for a while, also either technical blockers or the lack of technical capabilities to evaluate and migrate. I think the biggest blocker to more cloud adoption in the next year is actually going to be the overhead of additional costs from individuals using the cloud, but not doing it in a cost-friendly way. Spending too much, this is not new. Obviously for years, people have been Disappointed with their revenue and their costs in moving to the cloud because they did it poorly. But I think that this is the year that that's going to be the main blocker the cloud adoption. Building crap the wrong way, making it cost too much, and then stopping, pausing, moving more workloads so they could figure it out and build their own capabilities around cost management.
0: You think that's because of the damaged economy from COVID or just? We should have reached that point where all the people who could move cheaply have already moved and now all that's left are the people who can't do it cheaply.
2: I guess I think that the pressure to move has become so great because there's so many benefits that many more companies – we obviously live in an area where we're pretty far ahead of the curve in the San Francisco Bay Area. We all work at companies that are pretty bleeding edge. There's a lot of companies out there that are just getting their feet wet in this space. And they're going to be forced, I think, to move quicker than they're ready. And they're not going to have the capabilities to do... Like you can get anyone to go migrate you, lift and shift you into the cloud. And I think people are going to do it because they just have to. They feel like they have to, but they're not going to have the internal capabilities to make sure that they monitor and manage that cloud spend appropriately. And they're going to get burned with high costs. Sounds like we need a managed migration service. That's one way. Uh, obviously, I think it's like an ongoing capability that everybody's going to need though, you know, not just the migration piece, but the sprawl, the orphaned resources from automation, all the things that hit you and you never thought of until it happens to you and you see it on your bill. There's so many companies now that are going to go through that process that I think there's going to be less tolerance in other industries for that waste than there were in sort of leading edge industries where we feel like those are lessons learned. And we move on because we're better for it.
3: Yeah, it's less managed migration and more managed transformation. Like, you know, the success stories of people lifting and shifting in order to take advantage of the optimization once they're in the cloud are few and far between they exist, but the norm for sure. And so these teams get in there and get their stuff migrated, whether they're using a managed migration service that exists today or some other method. They find that the operating model they're used to using is just so different that if you don't change that, you don't change the underlying technology, you don't have things auto-scale and turn off by default, but it's just going to be expensive. And to some of these teams, I think they're completely blindsided to it because we have maintained application infrastructure in a very specific way for a very long time.
0: When you think about a data center, you have somebody who's responsible for compute, somebody who's responsible for storage typically, or the network, and there's individual teams which have their own constraints. But when you migrate to the cloud, you've got sort of this potential infinite runway of things you can do. You could have a, a rogue task that creates snapshots, and you could have a million snapshots in your account before you know it, and be spending tens of thousands of dollars a month in something that makes no sense, whereas in a data center that would never have happened. You would have run out of capacity. Somebody would have called you and said, hey, this doesn't make any sense. So maybe 2021 is a year of you know common sense. Make AI, ML do the common sense things for me and say, hey, are you sure you want to create the millionth and first snapshot for this very same thing? You seem to be doing it every 15 minutes. It makes no sense. Totally. I rescind my prediction and I... <laughs> <laughs> No, there's definitely room for some sanity checks, which don't exist today.
1: Well, mine is sort of started already in 2020, but I think is going to see a lot more of in 2021, which is the verticalization of cloud. I think we're going to see these cloud offerings—I'm putting offerings and quotations—are they specialized for things like healthcare and retail and entertainment? and fintech and financial services, et cetera. I think that it just makes sense at this point where have got the building blocks, you've got higher level primitives, we have got, you know, applications and services now. And if we start bundling those into packaged offerings and under Amazon Web Services Health or Azure Health or these things, and they're already, you know, they're part of that bundle, they're HIPAA compliant. They're the things that I need, they're quick starts for that. It just makes sense for the cloud teams to diversify that way and target those markets. And kind of create those solutions in that space. And I think that's what we're going to see from all the cloud providers is them starting to build out more and more of these verticals with the success off of things like Azure Health, which came out this year. I think we'll start seeing more of those sometime mid-next year.
0: Is it more of a marketing thing or do you think it's actually innovation in those verticals.
1: I think some of the early stuff is going to be very marketing specific, but you know, you look at what Google is delivering, they're giving you like very hardcore health features. <laughs> like they're not primitive. They're actually like, this is a feature of a health application I would build. And they're giving me that. So I can see that potentially it may start as a very marketing centric thing. And then as they get feedback from customers, what they need, they can start becoming more specialized and more dedicated to the need of that particular vertical.
2: Yeah. I think the marketing phase is already gone. I think we're gonna just continue to see those additional real perfectly focused services roll out one after the next. The other thing that'd be kind of interesting is if the like we saw that Babelfish is sort of an attack on one of Microsoft's revenue streams. And you know, if we look at the competitors other revenue streams or other SaaS providers, other companies that it would be interesting if Amazon takes a big shot at one of those. As far as, hey, you know, we're going to give you a SaaS offering that competes with one of the big enterprise offerings out there at a tenth of the cost with 80% of the features you use today, but only 10% of the features that they offer. Uh, one of those plays would be interesting, especially if it was someone that's a big Amazon customer already. We'll see, though.
1: And Ryan, your 2021 prediction. Welcome to the predictions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Woo-hoo. Uh, hopefully it goes a little better than my reInvent and GCP. Predictions? <laughs> Actually, reinvent wasn't so bad for me. Never mind. Yeah, Hopefully, it goes just mind. as well. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think that following one of Peter's announcements from 2020, I think that the fact that work from home is going to become a permanent trend. I agree. All the signs for moving headquarters. All, you know, all the different challenges that are arising out of pandemic. I don't think all these restrictions that we have today are going away. I don't think that. I think there's going to be a lot of discomfort going back to an office where you're sitting within two to three feet of a teammate, especially after we're so used to working from home. And so what I suspect we're going to start to seeing is more and more services that are geared specifically to decentralizing the workplace environment. I think if you look at moves like Google did in 2019, where they sort of got rid of their internal VPN um, and are relying solely on either host-based ACLs or smaller network control groups, as well as a lot of AI and machine learning to instantly react to and detect security exploits. We'll see more and more of that type of solution being offered as products and solutions to companies. I think we'll see a lot of machine learning and AI doing detection of security and sort of changing continuing to change the model of high wall gardens, be more instant reaction. I think the days of funneling everything through a single endpoint so you can focus on inspecting everyone's traffic and have this kind of command and control enforcement model, I think it's over. I don't think it scales well and it won't compete or won't be a solution when your workforce is completely globally distributed and may change.
0: So is that kind of really breaking down the barrier between what you consider the corporate network or the intranet versus the internet? So, so everything will be an internet-based service even if you do happen to go to an office. Anyway. Yeah, that's the trend I see yeah. You know,
3: when I read about how Google is approaching these things. And they did it before the pandemic just because of scaling concerns. And so I think really what the pandemic is doing is just making that concern everyone's concern, right? Even if you're much, much smaller than Google, now you've got the same concerns. Now you're either having to fork over a bunch of money for VPN concentrators and scaling hardware. And that can be tricky to do, and if you're globally distributed, does your office in India have to basically connect over VPN all the way to a concentrator that's based somewhere in the United States? Like that's a terrible performance and a terrible experience for those users. And I see that more and more kind of just changing the way we currently do
0: things. Mm. Yeah, those, those devices, those VPN devices do become the constraint. They become the performance bottleneck for all kinds of things as companies scale. makes a lot of sense. And it does it really add any extra security in the end? It uses the same AS encryption as TLS does, enforce HTTPS everywhere, and you effectively have the same level of security. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's interesting.
1: Well, it would definitely be interesting to see where that permanent work from home kind of leads us in a new reality. With so many complex use cases, most security tools don't understand what your data
3: is in the cloud. Open Raven monitors your cloud asset configurations and the contents of the data stored in data lakes, object stores, relational and non-relational databases, then alerts you when unexpected data appears or if configurations have drifted to being risky. Use our pre-built policy library or write your own policies using the industry standard Open Policy Agent to ensure that your data is safe and use our reports to assess compliance with data and privacy regulations. Visit openraven.com slash the cloud pod to learn more and start a free trial to discover, classify, monitor, and protect the data you have in the cloud.
1: All right. Well, you know, as those of you who look at the clock are like, it's 45 minutes into the show. Luckily, I can tell you that we don't have a lot of news. <laughs> so <laughs> we will get into it and wrap up here pretty quickly tonight. So first up, the final announcement of AWS reInvent, the very first gift of reInvent was the FU to Microsoft for the SQL Server licensing. And so Amazon couldn't leave Google out of it. And so they have released an FU to Google with the release of Amazon Location. Amazon wants to make it easier and more cost-effective for you to add maps, location awareness, and other location-based features to your web and mobile applications. And prior to this, to do this was expensive and complex and tied you to the business and programming models of a single provider. <coughs> Google. Amazon location is now available in preview. is priced at a fraction of the common alternatives. Amazon location services gives you access to maps and location-based services from multiple providers on an economical pay-as-you-go basis. Which means they're basically kind of being a marketplace here for things like Nokia Next and others that have mapping data available to you. In the system. It's all available to you via the console and the CLI or via an API, as most people use it, plus support for existing map libraries such as Mapbox GL and Tangram is all available to you out of the box. It's priced in multiple different ways. simple, very simple request-based pricing for external users to mobile asset tracking and mobile asset management capabilities for those of you who want to embed it into your mobile applications for various purposes, etc. So do check out the pricing if you're looking into this. It does look quite cheap compared to Google Maps, which I have paid for uh, unfortunately in the past, and there is an initial free period for three to four months to kind of help you baseline
0: your uh, workload how much is google maps just out of interest i've never paid for it it's free to a certain
1: point but that point you hit surprisingly quickly when you use it and i haven't looked at the pricing in a while so i didn't have to do this but i know of people who have been surprised with a very large credit card build in the six digits category Oof. you know a mobile app that gets all of a sudden very popular on the app store and suddenly has a viral car carrying can get you very expensive very fast or google will just stop serving your map request which just breaks your app in a terrible horrible way. <laughs> so there's really two bad experiences
0: in the world
1: just sort of like cloud costs uh in some ways.
0: Cuz everybody wants everything for yeah, free, I- don't they? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or as cheap as yeah. possible.
1: Well, I mean,
3: and you know, competition's the best way to get there. I think there were a lot of people that were surprised as I was that basically there was only one location provider before Amazon made this release. And, you know, when I think back, you know, it seems sort of obvious because everything's integrated with Google Maps. There's really no other solution out there. At least lately, you know, there used to be a little bit more back in the
1: day, but you know, now I like it. Good all right moving on to aws load balancer controller version 2.1 already getting a 2.1 version of this uh, which is for those of you remember is amazon's kubernetes elb controller which they embedded into kubernetes which ties back to what uh, ryan was mentioning earlier about some of the things he's happy to see this year and the themes this new version 2.1 has several new features for you including support for the new ingress class added in kubernetes uh, 1.18 support for grpc workloads with end-to-end http 2 via the alb You can configure your own custom-owned IP pools for ALBs on Outposts. You can provision IPv6 dual stack for the network load balancer, ALPN policies and target groups for NLB, and fine-grained subnet configuration for the network load global load balancer, as well as support for AWS tag customization, all now available to you out of the box. So this is a great enhancement that came very quickly after they first released this uh, right before reInvent. If you think about, you know, a lot of these apps
3: that are cloud native and built from containers, you know, not being able to support HTTP2 out of the box might be, you know, very limiting. IPv6 not supporting that out of the box can be very limiting. You know, these aren't the old industry apps that have been around forever and just being ported. These are things that are supporting brand new protocols. And so it's sort of disappointing if you develop your application with all these in mind and you go and you realize that your infrastructure doesn't support that. So
1: I'm happy to see this. One thing that people have also complained about, other than IPv6 support, <laughs> is the support for DNSSEC with Amazon Route 53 that has now also been announced. So they are now supporting DNSSEC, or Domain Name System Security Extensions, for Route 53. Uh, this provides data origination authentication and data integrity verification for DNS and can help customers meet compliance mandates such as FedRAMP. When you enable DNSSEC on a host zone, Route 53 crypto signs each record in the hosted zone using a KMS key signing key. Amazon Route 53 registrar also supports the DNSSEC, so you can now register domains with DNSSEC enabled upfront. As well as, you can enable this feature ensures that DNS responses have been tampered with. DNS responses have not been tampered with while in transit. Available in all regions that Route 53 is available in, which is all of them. I am not sure exactly how this will incur your Amazon KMS charges for decryption of the private key data, but uh, hopefully, it's not too bad uh, due to caching and some other things. As this is a fantastic improvement and very secure and very important to many many companies.
2: It's always seemed like a huge everyone just don't look that way.
1: <laughs> don't
3: look at DNS. Don't look
2: there for security.
3: Unless you're blaming an outage, right? It's the you know, which is yeah. always DNS. This is a huge oversight that's been missing for years. And we're starting to see, you know, these exploits being used more more and more by bad actors and security researchers and all kinds of various people. So this is great. And the only
2: question is gonna be cost. So we will I bet someone will find out pretty quickly. No news is gonna be good news, that's my bet.
1: Yeah, I am playing with it. I suspect it's not too bad based on what my so far I played with, but I don't have. I wish they had given a calculator that included it <laughs> so I could just use a calculator, but they did not. And so here we are. Up next, well, that's it for AWS, by the way. That is the least amount of AWS news we had in all of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Hands down, the least amount of news. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. They gave us one week off. And yeah. The, the lull before reInvent that we were
3: expecting never came
1: yeah it's been a long year i mean asia was nice enough to kind of take a break but aws not so much all right let's move to gcp so first up gcp has already announced several new regions in 2020 including jakarta las vegas salt lake city and seoul plus announcements for doha madrid milan and paris as well you know which are all in construction at this point and they are not finished for 2020. they want to let you know they're also building another data center in chile which is in south america Another region in Germany to complement their Frankfurt region, as well as a new Saudi Arabia region tied to their business they do with Aramco, uh, which, of course, is the big oil company in Saudi Arabia owned by the prince. So that is interesting that GCP is going big in those regions. The second region in Germany, I think this is the first cloud provider to offer a second Germany region. So that's a pretty big deal.
0: I wonder why Chile? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: DR inside Germany. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: What's the The economics of Chile look like? What do you think the driver is there? Is it just a stable country in South America, which makes it a sensible place to, to put a data center? Or
3: Well, they, I mean, they're severely lacking in infrastructure for internet internet-powered applications in South America in general. Right. Not all, you know, like there's regions in South America that are more stable than mm-hmm. others. Sometimes it's even within a country, like there'll be parts of a single country that's, that's stable versus other parts of the country.
1: In the actual article, there's a quote here from Red Salud, which is apparently one of the leading networks of private healthcare providers in Chile have migrated their infrastructure to the cloud on GCP. And so they will be one of the launch partners or launch customers of the GCP region in Chile. And so they talk about how they need to be closer to their customers and end users. So this Google cloud region helps them do that. So I think there's definitely some use cases and customers, but again, it's, you know, is it going to be a big region? I don't know.
0: Well, if everyone's working from home, then we can start outsourcing labor to all over the world. If the infrastructure is there, People already outsourced to Mexico and Costa Rica, Brazil, so, having a presence in other parts of the world just opens up the availability of technical resources.
3: I don't There's even want great- to
0: outsource. I just want to go
3: work from the Atacama Desert. <laughs> there you <That's> go. Amazing. <laughs> There's some great talent
2: too
1: in South America, and they're closer to our time zone. Well, if you have been frustrated with your dashboard creation experience in Google Cloud Monitoring, they've given you a new dashboard creation experience. Yay. (laughs) To allow you to generate a variety of visualization types, including better flexibility for dashboard layouts and making data manipulation even easier. So there's now 40 charts per dashboard up from 25 because executives love charts. New component types, including line, stacked area, stacked bar, and heat maps. You can make widget change color depending on the thresholds now, so you can have red blinky lights if you like, and fully backwards compatible with your prior dashboard release, so you don't have to throw all those away and put them back together. And all I can think about this is, now
0: who's picking on who in the open source world? Grafana. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so same crappy dashboard, but just new experience. But how did they not have line charts before?
1: <laughs> like but That was a little weird to me, too. I was like, line charts? Really? They did. No, they
3: did have line charts, so I'm a little confused by that. I mean, I haven't used it since it was you know Stackdriver, but... They had the ability to launch them.
1: Well, maybe they just didn't <laughs> have the ability to embed them into a dashboard. I mean maybe. That, that's the probably maybe. the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely an interesting announcement. But uh, you know, if you're yeah. unhappy with that, you have a much better choice now.
3: Yeah. No, heat maps. Come on, Amazon, since I'm primarily based in Amazon, heat maps would be amazing yeah. feature add for CloudWatch.
1: So if you have developers who hate the fact that they have to compile a Docker container, publish it to a registry, and then put it into Cloud Run. Google is pleased to announce a single command to build and deploy your code to Cloud Run directly. You no longer have to suffer that injustice of the first packaging your code into a container and then deploying it. <laughs> your image all available to you now through a single build command by Cloud Run. So there you go. From the
0: Department of Very First Build Problems. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: I could throw out my three-line bash. Oh,
0: right. it's crazy.
3: Yeah, I can't tell if these announcements cuz you know there's a bunch of these that are coming out now. It's not just Google Cloud run but you know the SDK and you know, if you think about other you know distribution code like basically translators. This is a very common theme that I'm like do I just not understand the problem? Is it really that hard? I don't understand. Like building it all on a package just means that I'm sorta of reliant on this entire ecosystem and running this command. I have no customization ability, I have no ability to do programmatic versioning or dual writes or all kinds of other powerful things that you can do in a, a CI
1: pipeline. So
0: Yeah, but it's no code.
1: It <laughs> <laughs> must be. It. Well, it was code to get to the container, but
0: then after that it's no code.
1: To get yeah. To uh, running
0: it. Google just launched your own keyboard with a special, you know, cloud run button on it. Does, does it's just a big <laughs> button, right?
3: Yeah, keyboard with a single big red button.
0: But didn't Amazon do a, a similar <laughs> thing right? already? Well, kind right. of similar. because are? Well, I mean, you can Docker Compose directly into ECS now, which is kind mm-hmm. of close. Docker Compose and CDK supports ECS. It's the exact same thing. Well, next
1: up is the DataProc metastore. This is a fully managed Apache Hive metastore now available to you in public preview from Google. Apache Hive metastore is a key building block for data lakes that utilize a diverse world of open source software such as Spark and Presto. To help support this use case, Google's released in DataProc metastore, a fully managed, highly available, auto-healing, open source Apache Hive metastore service that simplifies technical metadata management for customers building data lakes on GCP. And for a limited time, it's free. Well, that's nice. Dataproc has several key features that they've added since the beta in June, including IAM Kerberos support, import and export support, something called VPC-SC, asset transactions, cloud monitoring integration, broad Dataproc compatibility, service updates, cloud console, and cloud SDK. This is not cheap, though, after the free tier. a Developer tier cost will be $0.34 cents per hour, or $252.96 a month. And Enterprise is 2544 $2,544 a month to use the Dataproc Metastore. So quite a bit of money. But if you need this for your data lake, you're probably very happy.
0: It's obviously something that's on people's minds. I mean, Dropbox just migrated their entire metadata store back to AWS after they'd moved away from S3 for their primary storage. So there's definitely market for these for this type of scale of metadata storage. I'm surprised it's not priced by some sort of scaling
3: metric. I think it's primarily because of the machine learning model. And so it's not necessarily the amount, but you know, you have these jobs running for long periods of time And you might need to allocate resources to exist for the lifecycle of that job. And so that's why I suspect the hourly model versus resource consumption model here.
0: I'm not real sure. Well, I assume hourly because you pay for the control plane, which runs in compute, which costs hourly. But the data itself is probably stored as fairly cold objects in object store. That makes sense. Or maybe I'm completely wrong. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Please call in. Maybe.
1: Tell me. And then the last up is a final announcement for Cloud Spanner. Uh, Apparently, several new enterprise features that were missing from Cloud are now available to you at the end of the year. Those are including exciting features such as check constraints to specify that a value in a certain column must satisfy a Boolean expression. The generated columns whose value is computed from other columns in the same row now supported, and a new numeric data type. And the numeric data type provides precision useful across many industries and functions supporting precision of up to 38 and a scale of 9, meaning it can store a number with a total of 38 digits, 9 of which can be rational or right of the decimal which I'm glad they explained that to me because I don't know that I would have known that. (laughs) So appreciate that. 38 digits, nine of which after the decimal point. So if you have that level of precision need for your spanner, you can now support that out of the box.
0: Mm, That's the kind of precision you need for your network models. So maybe they're talking about sharing models. I'm more surprised that did they not support numeric data types before? Like, really? Maybe not at that scale. People (laughs) just tend to sort numbers as strings at that point and they just build their own functions to manipulate them. Yeah, it just, you know, you have to do that outside orchestration in order to compare two strings to see if they're greater than one another. The check constraints is odd, though. I mean, I kind of figured that that would be an application concern more than a database concern. Providing that kind of feature in the database itself is odd.
1: It's for people moving from SQL Server to <laughs> Spanner. They need these features. Well, that's it for GCP. But moving on to Azure, who have stunned us with an amazing article called Five Ways to Save Cost by Running .NET Apps on Azure which imagine that the area where they penalize you for running SQL server or other clouds is magically cheaper on top of Azure. (laughs) I could never have guessed. Azure keeps doubling down on why their cloud world is so much cheaper because of Azure SQL with hybrid benefits and app services. They compared this to running this on Elastic Beanstalk as well as RDS, which is a pretty tired look at it as far as I'm concerned. And all the advantages they tout are based on predatory pricing models that protect their interests. So thanks Azure, appreciate that. Always nice.
0: Yeah, one of the things I looked at for the year in review was another one of these gig at home studies. I was not surprised to see that this is yet another gigaohm, very unbiased report on cost in Azure's favor.
3: This has got to be like the third or fourth week where Azure is leading their announcements with if it's not five ways to save cost cutting this way, it's an enhancement in their cost mm-hmm. report or. So they definitely seem very focused on cost it's right now. It's the end of
0: your budget time, though. Maybe people publicly, are looking at their numbers and their budgets for next year thinking, well, what can we spend? What can we save? And so maybe they're just taking advantage of the fact that it's the end of the
3: calendar year. I also suspect that a lot of their development is internally focused towards Jedi and that kind of thing. So it's just not being publicly announced. But yeah, it's just sort of a strange... You're not really focusing on features. they are more focusing on just cost visibility and automated solutions. Cost is going to be big in 2021, I'm telling you. That's good. It should be <laughs> that's Yeah, fine well, by me. good in <laughs> the
0: Chilean economy just now. Well, Justin was talking about something else. They predict that this is going to be their worst year for GDP in like 35 years or something. Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah, sure. definitely a cost is going to be on everyone's mind. Yeah, that's,
1: that's a good point. All right. Well, that's it for the news. Like I said, it's a short one. <laughs> and then we go, take us to the final lightning round, the moment of truth. Who will win the 2020 lightning round? Peter, take it away. <laughs> There's
2: nothing cheaper than free, and there's five more free services now available in the Azure free account. Service Bus, VPN Gateway, LB, container registry, archives, storage, as well as increased
0: free amounts of Cosmos DB. Increased free amounts. Only in the free Cosmos would for it free. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. I told Troy over
1: Only Azure would give you the Cosmos for free, which I can look out my window right now and see.
0: <laughs> oh, nice. You rhymed.
2: That's the first rhyme, I think. I don't know if anyone's rhymed before.
0: Not uh, sure. He's a poet, and he's unaware of that's it. Nice.
3: Yeah. nice. The lightning round ground becomes a
2: rap <laughs> battle.
0: <laughs> this is going to be fantastic. <laughs> Please no. Twenty twenty one is going to be
3: amazing. <laughs> I
0: quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The club was going to do a musical episode uh, next year. <laughs> oh, no, oh man, that's a hard pass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: AWS Database Migration Service now supports Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility, you guessed it, as a source.
1: It must mean that DocumentDB doesn't work then, because I migrated my data to it, and I need to get my data back out to Mongo. So they gave it to me as a service. Appreciate that. It's Does it actually wiggle.
3: convert? You can get from MongoDB into Document DB, and then can you maybe translate it to a useful SQL technology by using it in DMS? That's my hope, anyway.
1: Right. <laughs> so you yeah, want to go from like, like MongoDB or Document DB, DB. Or DocumentDB to SQL Server, <laughs>
3: so you can uh, pay more yeah. licensing? Sure. Well, I don't know if SQL Server would be my choice. <laughs> <Postgres>. <laughs> but there are other technologies <laughs> that yes, I would use over MongoDB, oh, sure.
0: Especially as lots of modern RDBMSs support JSON data types and can query you know deep contents of those, those
2: uh... <laughs> hey, hey,
0: hey. I'm
2: sorry AWS, <laughs> AWS CodeBuild is now available in the Africa Cape
1: Town region I guess that proves that there's a Cape Town region because now they're releasing features but I was really more concerned that Africa needs code builds. why are we putting that penalty onto Cape Town like aren't they already trying to become an up-and-comer in the world can we give them Git like why do we have to give them CodeBuild builds? <laughs>
3: Everyone must learn through suffering.
1: Africa's
2: yes. no. <laughs> AWS Deep Composer launches new learning capsule
3: that dives deep into Transformer models.
1: This sounds like the plot for the new Transformers movie. Michael Bay must be involved.
3: <laughs> what was the Transformer that had the tape deck with the cassette tape? It was one of my favorites. Was Star Starscream? Was that? But that's all I can think of when I read this
0: headline. <laughs> When I think about cassettes, Amazon I think
3: chime now." Guardians of the, <laughs> of the Galaxy. <laughs> oh. <Nice.
0: laughs>
2: Amazon Chime now supports joining meetings from Echo Show 8.
1: I mean, that's what I want to do is I want to join a Chime meeting from my Echo in my kitchen. Sounds horrendous. Today, I
3: learned that there are eight versions of the Amazon Echo Show. <laughs> which is like- amazing since I do not know a single person with one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is it eight inches or eight versions? I don't know. Is that the one that follows you around the room kind of creepily? Turns turns, turns to watch you. I thought it was just the
3: Amazon Echo device with a screen, but I didn't realize maybe eight is for size and not versions.
1: Well, they have an Echo Show 5 and they have an Echo Show 8. So I think it is based on the inches and the screen size.
2: AWS Config launches the ability to save your advanced queries.
1: I mean, that assumes that I can figure out a query that gets me anything I actually want from Amazon Config first, that I would want to save it. (laughs) Yeah,
3: I dare you to show me the last time this actually changed in a meaningful way that's not just updates to the tag values. (laughs) You can now use AWS
2: Secrets Manager to rotate your AWS Data Migration Service source and target Database credentials.
1: So if your migration is taking so long that you now have a compliance requirement to rotate your passwords every three to six months, your migration is probably not going so well and you should probably reevaluate. That's just my take. But hear me out. If you're using
3: the database migration service to migrate from MongoDB to a proper database thing, then you know maybe that time makes sense yeah. to change the password.
2: Maybe you just found it easier than setting up a real DR replication solution. <laughs> <laughs> AWS OpHub for AWS Snow Family is now available for Linux.
1: making me wonder, who was the Linux guy who asked for this feature, who wanted a GUI on top of Linux to manage their Snow device? Like, really? Because I thought, well, maybe this would be using the data center. But then I'm like, who's running a GUI on their Linux box in the data center? That's even worse than the Linux admin on this desktop using it. I just, I'm so confused by this one.
3: But everyone knows that Linux guy who just insists that, you know, this feature must exist on his Linux desktop as well as, you know, it's offered on the Windows desktops and the Mac desktops.
0: Everyone knows that guy. You're making fun of me for asking for Linux support for the (laughs) VPN (laughs) client. See, we know one. He's right there. (laughs) What's your use case? Um, uh, Just (laughs) because. Because
3: I'm running Linux. Screw you. I
0: could
3: just
2: picture a GUI made of ASCII art is all I could think of. AWS Artifact makes compliance documents easy to download and share.
1: I mean, the fact that I guess I don't require an NDA to be signed with my customers is nice, but I'm sort of freaked out by the legal ramifications of anything attached at the beginning of a PDF now makes it legally binding. That's a little weird to me.
3: To be fair, there's no way to make this service easy enough for a compliance team to use. I've learned
0: through direct action. (laughs) They have to have a whole special service just to download those enormous Excel sheets.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. Well, wow, that was a wonderful speed round, lightning round. And
2: I got to give it to the poet, yes. Justin, who finishes strong, dominated the year, and wins the last episode. Congratulations, Justin.
0: Thank you. And thank
2: you. Congratulations yeah. to all of our competitors. Yep,
0: yep. Justin was really on the form. I think he'd been snorting the with S. Snow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, well, you got to get through this 2019 somehow or 2020 somehow, Jonathan. And, you know, if that's how you do it, that's how you do it. <laughs> I just, I you know, it is what it is. Well, uh, that has been another fantastic year in the cloud. We're wrapping up 2020 in a big way and hopefully we're going into 2021 and uh, things start getting a little bit better on the pandemic front, the political front, the Jedi front, the... Security front, all the things that we hope could get a little bit better next year, hopefully, will start happening. Hopefully, Asia wakes up and starts announcing some new features, maybe again. That'd be good. Because we're falling behind
0: here, folks. Yeah, put too many spoilers on 2021, but Nostradamus predicted all kinds of terrifying things like asteroids and catastrophes for 2021.
1: So, I mean, is this the same guy who <laughs> <I have laughs> predicted 2012 is going to be bad? I mean, oh, I know. Sa- I'm giving him a sandwich <laughs> board <laughs> please, and a please
0: bell. Please do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. I'm gonna stay away from Jonathan's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> key, the key requirement for 2020. All right, guys. Well, we'll talk to you next year. Have a great remaining of your year. We'll talk to you next year in the cloud. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net for sign up instructions.